Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 68. You know, you have to listen to your child. You have to listen to your child just because as a parent, you see it as like, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. Just telling them to sit down and be quiet. You know, the more you tell any child to not do something, they're going to do it three times what you told them not to, right? Your child has the best grasp on it rather than you because they know the root of what they're trying to get you. I just wanted attention, right? I wanted attention and I wanted to get it in any shape or form, whether that was breaking something, whether that was trying to be the center of attention, being super goofy and obnoxious during parties. Like I wanted attention because it was, here's the pills, go off and do your own thing. And that was it. And so as I'm not a parent, but I am in, in a relationship with, with a, with someone who does have a daughter and she may or may not have ADHD because she has ADHD. Um, and so one of the things it's like, you have to listen to your child because they're going to tell you more than you could ever assume, right? Sitting down and saying, Hey, you know, what's on your mind. And also recognizing from a distance, when do they typically get frustrated? When do they typically do an outburst? Cause there is a pattern, right? If they don't recognize it, you're cognitive enough to be able to make that, that differentiation. Notice how they get frustrated. Notice what they're doing. If they're happy or if they're quiet, what are they doing? What are they partaking in? What are they escaping to, right? You can get all the answers from your child, but you can allow them to speak to you rather than you tell them, go to your room, be quiet, don't break anything, or hey, like, shut up, right? You cannot do that. You're only going to make them do more of what you're trying to get them not to. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD, or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you're going through your journey. Hey, my ADHD family, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. I am excited today because I don't get many men on um, ADHD Love Parent Talk, so I'm excited to have Josiah. I did pronounce that correctly, right, Josiah? Yes. Perfect. Perfect. And I really just want to dig into his story, just talk a little bit about ADHD, because one of the things that I want parents to know is that there are different experiences, even though we all have ADHD. And I want him to talk about his background, um, maybe even talk about some tools that he has learned in his journey. So you have tools that you can put in your toolbox that you can use for your own children. So Josiah, welcome. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you. I'm excited too. It's been, it's been a long time since I've been on Clubhouse, which is where we initially met. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this. Yeah, me too. I've kind of disappeared on Clubhouse mostly because I, I was addicted to it. And yeah. to say the least, like I was on there all of the time. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I have to, I have to drop a little bit. <laughs> the exact same thing happened with me. The exact same. That was too funny. So please tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, so obviously my name is, uh, Josiah Sanchez. Uh, I'm an emotional intelligence coach. I, uh, specify in metacognition and behavioral management. Um, you know, kind of staying on the topic of ADHD here, I grew up with it. I got diagnosed whenever I was in third grade. Um, and that's when they, I think initially diagnosed, uh, Zoloft or Ritalin. It was one of the two. And I actually had to get put in a separate school. It was called like a Rexon or something like that. Um, so like right out of the jump within my adolescent, you know, time frame, I was already separated from the kids, from the social, uh, the sociality of, 
you know, being immersed in public schools. Right. And so that carried on all throughout the third grade and then fourth grade, I was back in school and, you know, getting into high school, which is when I, um, I kind of cut the medication essentially on my own. I was not myself. And the way that my parents used to always tell me was, you know, they couldn't handle me without it, but they also couldn't tolerate me with it. Cause I was very short fused and I was very aggressive. Mm. Right. But without it, you know, over the top, I had no idea how to really understand myself, really learn how to manage and be aware of, okay, what, what are these emotions showing me? Right. I got to right. be able to gauge it, to be able to, to understand and manage it. And so went throughout my high school year, uh, my all for my high school years, really learning about myself from the very deep depths of, okay, this is happiness. Okay. This is what you know, um, reading the room and saying, okay, this is how I should feel happiness, not screaming and being loud and doing all that. Okay, cool. Okay. I'm scared. Okay. This is what I can do whenever I'm scared. This is how I act whenever I'm scared. Okay. Let me manage this. Oh, I'm frustrated. Okay. Instead of being physical and punching walls and, yeah. you know, going, having an entire episode unfold. Okay. Here's what's frustrating me. This is why it's frustrating me. Okay. Let me gauge this. Let me, you know, do something with it. Um, and after high school, I uh, got into fitness and fitness was kind of like that cover up from, you know, my philosophy, which I don't know if it was placebo or not. Um, if I was able to drain myself physically, then my mind didn't have enough time to race because, um, you know, you're exhausted. You really don't even want to think at all. And so I kind of used that philosophy and went through fitness, did bodybuilding, and then really wanted to dig into, you know, the emotional, the um the thought process that kind of goes within men, within women and everything. And so my ADHD, the journey I took essentially shifted into everything that I teach. Uh, and even though it's not, you know, strictly ADHD demographic style uh, per se, it is, it's, it allows everybody to be able to understand themselves from the deep, uh, from the deeper parts of ourselves that really guide us throughout our day-to-day -day lives. So Love that. And I got so many questions for you because I really want to break that down. But before I do, so audience, if you can relate or have any comments to what Josiah is saying, definitely put them in the comments below and share your experiences. And also don't forget to subscribe because there's more stories like this. So Josiah, okay, so let's start from the beginning. Explain a little bit more. What was that tipping point for even for you to even get diagnosed? I mean, why did they, I mean, what did they see that said, you know what, we need to actually go and check out to see what's going on with Josiah. So with me being in third grade, my memory is a little bit blurred there, but honestly, I believe that I couldn't sit still. Again, I was very over the top, okay. right? There was nothing that could be uh, cordially expressed. And so it was a lot for my parents to handle. And I remember we're going to call her Dr. X. Um, mm -hmm. She, every single time I went in, all my mom had to say was, yeah, he's still getting in trouble in school. He's still doing this. Mm -hmm. up the dose. It wasn't even really about me. It was, it was more so, okay, he can't sit still. He can't, uh, he can't keep to himself. He, he talks a lot. So we got to up the dose. And so it was almost like, and I didn't really, I didn't recognize that until mm -hmm. later on, whenever I was like, well, what about how I'm feeling? Like, yeah. have you guys asked me how I feel on the medication? Cause I was on multiple pills and a patch and the patch started leaving scar tissue. Wow. And so it was, uh, started with an N I forgot like what exactly it was. Um, but I had a patch and I took medication. So I was a robot. I was a zombie. I, I was, I was dead. Um, it seemed. And so it was up to almost the max dose. And essentially I, because I didn't understand what I was really doing in the first place, I was so right. young. I just kind of followed, oh, if this is what my parents say I got to do, then I got to do it. I guess I'll just kind of tolerate it. 
Um, and so as far as the, the tipping point, you know, I would, I would honestly say, you know, after looking back and recognizing, okay, that's, that is how I act. That is how I kind of blow up. That is how I talk really fast and force myself to get attention. I think that was more so like, okay, we can't tell him not to do something because he's not going to listen. So let's just kind of find something to kind of uh, give us a lending hand with allowing him to manage something. Okay. So there weren't really strategies in place. I mean, they really just put you on medication and it sounds like you said that you were pulled out of the social environment. So did you go to a different school? Yes. For, for third grade, I was pulled out, I think a few months in and I was at a separate school. I think it was called the rec center and there were other kids there. And at the time I wasn't able to really like recognize it, but I mean, I made friends there and like, what's crazy leaving, like, I didn't want to leave because I found people that were just like me. Mm. All right. But uh, I, I came back to, to the third grade um, and people were like, yo, where'd you go? Like, I, you just disappeared and now you're back. What happened? And at that point I was just like, yeah, I was just, I was just at a, a different school and people thought it was like a detention style of like separate school for like disciplinary actions and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I was pulled out and then I was put back in later put back into public schools later that year I was in there so I could logically take the benchmark, I think is what they had at the time. Um, took those writing, reading, went back. And then I was in public schools ever since, but right back into public schools, principal phone call, principal phone call, principal phone call. My mom had my fifth grade assistant principal on like recognizing her phone. So speed dial, <laughs> speed dial. Speed dial. it was, it was that bad. No, I understand. I mean, I, I have a son, so that's kind of what we went through for a good portion of the beginning of his years is I got phone calls and actually I got it from my daughter too. literally got phone calls almost every day. I mean, it was to the point where I would cringe when I would see those numbers pop up. And -hmm. I would tell you, Josiah, I I tell this to people that my kids were going to a Montessori school and I purposely put them in separate classes. They're two years apart, but the way the Montessori school is set up, they could have been in the same exact class. And they separated them. I had forgotten their lunch one day. I walk into the building. I go into the office and both of my children were sitting in the office. And I just looked at them. I gave them a hug because I figured they didn't call me that day. And I gave them their lunch and I walked out of the building. (laughs) I was like, here you go. I'm out. (laughs) I know. I was like, well, you guys didn't call me. But yes, both of them were in the office at the same time for something that happened, some outburst or whatever. So, no, I, I, I completely understand. I completely understand. So it's really interesting because one of the things that we talk a lot about is, number one, you talk about the pills, right? Mm -hmm but you can't have pills without skills, right? And then number two, at least in our school system, one of the things I talked to the teachers and the principal a lot was avoidance. You can't just Mm -hmm. avoid my child. We have to actually put things in place to make sure Mm -hmm. that such and such doesn't happen again, right? If he's having outbursts, helping him actually work through those outbursts to see what's going on, what's really wrong, right? You talked about that emotional piece, what's really Mm -hmm. going on with you. So what do you wish that, they had done differently, you know, back then. I mean, even if, you know, you had balanced it with pills and not just giving you a whole bunch. I mean, I, I can't imagine you being on two pills in a patch. That's crazy. So what do you wish that they had done differently or what could you advise parents to help guide them from your experience if they're dealing with their child like this in school systems? You know, hundred percent. And, you know, I've gotten a few, you know, biased opinions from this, but 
I think with all kids, but more so, you know, especially highlighting the ADHD fact, you know, you have to listen to your child. You have to listen to your child just because as a parent, you see it as like, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. Just telling them to sit down and be, and be quiet. You know, the more you tell any child to not do something, they're going to do it three times what you told them not to, right? Your child has the best grasp on it rather than you because they know the root of what they're trying to get you. I just wanted attention, right? I wanted attention and I wanted to get it in any shape or form, whether that was breaking something, whether that was trying to be the center of attention, being super goofy and obnoxious during parties. Like I wanted attention because it was, here's the pills, go off and do your own thing. And that was it. And so as I'm not a parent, but I am in, in a relationship with, with a, with someone who does have a daughter and she may or may not have ADHD because she has ADHD. Um, and so one of the things it's like, you have to listen to your child because they're going to tell you more than you could ever assume, right? Sitting down and saying, Hey, you know, what's on your mind. And also recognizing from a distance, when do they typically get frustrated? When do they typically do an outburst? Cause there is a pattern, right? If they don't recognize it, you're cognitive enough to be able to make that, that differentiation. Notice how they get frustrated. Notice what they're doing. If they're happy or if they're quiet, what are they doing? What are they partaking in? What are they escaping to, right? You can't get all the answers from your child, but you can allow them to speak to you rather than you tell them, go to your room, be quiet, don't break anything, or hey, like, shut up, right? You cannot do that. You're only going to make them do more of what you're trying to get them not to. Right. So um, as far as far as parents go, you know, your child is going to guide you through this parenting experience. Um, your child is going to give you uh, as much insights as they can. But as the parent, you do have to give more effort to notice and recognize where these emotions come up because they're not quite cognitive enough to get there. And then as far as as far as schooling goes, the one thing I wish they did, because I know I kind of struggle with it. I knew that I had. I mean, at the time, this almost disability, it seemed, um, I didn't want to be treated different. And so I didn't want the extra help. Teachers still gave it to me kind of very subliminally, but there were multiple times where it was like, okay, I don't want to be treated differently. I just want to come to class. I want to do what I want to and just leave, right? There were certain things in place that I wasn't quite aware of that my mom actually had the school do. So like I got more grace periods than other students did for turning in assignments, even though my mom still has an email from my senior year saying I still had 77 missing assignments. (laughs) Schooling was not for me. Schooling was not for me. It's too funny. Um, But, uh, you know, as far as if I could sit in front of a thousand teachers and I were to explain to them a little bit more with ADHD individuals, The best thing you can do is as best as you can, even slip a note to the kid. Hey, uh, come see me after class. It's nothing bad. I just want to talk to you. You got to have that one-on-one because if you blur something out in the middle of class, other students may say something and make them feel even less than, right? If you spend a little bit more time, people are going to, some people may assume like, oh my gosh, he's, you know, why is he, why is he or she getting all the extra help, right? Even though people's opinions are always going to be there as a young, uh, as a young and still growing kid, teenager, child, they're very influenced by that and they're very affected by that. And so um, I wish uh, teachers would just take a little bit more time and really break down just like a parent, you know, Hey, like, how are you feeling? You know, I noticed you were kind of out of there. Is there anything on your mind? 
right? What's been kind of bothering you, right? Hey, I, I noticed you got a little frustrated and you just, we lost you. You were gone the rest of the class. What frustrated you, right? Can I separate you from the student a little more? Can I, re I've actually had teachers rearrange the entire seating arrangement for me, right? They put me on the opposite side, but the way the students saw it, hey, I've done a little uh, rearranging with all the seats. And so it was like, okay. And I've only had one teacher like that, but I wish they would just as parents, you've got to listen to your students. You got to listen to your kids. Yeah, no, I love that. And you, to your point, because um, one of the things that you pointed out is listening to the kids, but then also on top of that is not being afraid to advocate for your kid, right? So now you've heard them. So that's kind of the relationship my children and I have is now I've heard them. And now I take it back to the teachers to see how we can make situations better. And it's kind of funny because the teachers know me very well, right? <laughs> now I don't get phone calls, but I definitely stay in touch with them because I want everybody to have a successful relationship, right? I want my son and daughter to be successful. I want them to have that accommodation. I think another thing that I run into is parents feel like, well, you're not going to get accommodations, you know, as you get older. So why in the world would I ask for it for you in school, right? Having that mm -hmm. mentality. And I mean, I literally just had a conversation about that with someone about somebody's child. And you've got to be okay with asking for those accommodations. We are so busy fitting for those who are neurotypical, right? Why mm -hmm. not? Why not fit the world for those who are neurodivergent? It's okay. And it's amazing how much better my children have done since those accommodations have been put in place. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%, 100%. And, you know, building off of that, you know, we, and that's where that, that specific mentality, like you're not going to get them now, or you're not going to get them then. So it's not incorporate them. Now you're teaching your kid to mold themselves off of other people. Yeah. not really express their individuality and creativity the way they want to. I've had conversations with my best friends. I've had conversations with, you know, jobs that I've had in the past, like, Hey, I'm more of a visual learner. Like, can you like run that back for me? Just, just one more time. Like just kind of paint a picture. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. People are a lot more understanding, but they move off of their experiences as when they were younger, how they kind of experienced that they're not really looking at well, what can you create? What relationships can you create that are understanding of that? My my best friends, you know, I communicate very closely with them. Like, like if I'm bothered or if I'm frustrated, if I'm under the weather, if I'm feeling down, I can communicate with them. Mm -hmm. But I can also communicate towards like, hey, you guys, I just want to vent. Please don't say anything back. It's going to get me frustrated. And I know it's going to because that's just how I am. Uh, do you mind if I just vent? 100%, go for it right? Those accommodations are going to come. You honestly just have to ask for them. Right. And so they're, they're always there, but that, that's the mentality of like, well, I didn't get them. So you're not going to get them. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, that, and that's a dangerous thing because you're teaching your neurodivergent, you know, child, you know, Hey, all these things in your mind, go ahead and try to discard them and just follow. Yeah. And that's just not how we work. It's not how we work at all. So um, yeah, uh, 100%. Mm -hmm. So um, if a parent is even struggling, whether they should even get their child diagnosed or not, because obviously you have all of the, you know, I, this is my favorite question to ask because people are really about the stigma of the ADHD diagnosis and they are about the label. So what would mm -hmm. you say to parents if they're on that fence on whether they even should go and get them assessed? 
I would pay attention to your child first, right? Look beyond the initial annoyance, look beyond the initial frustration of yourself that you are getting from your child, have a conversation with them, right? This kind of goes back to, I think it was uh, the first question we asked, you know, recognize, you know, incorporate as much as you can. And if you see something's working, but some things you just can't fully get a grasp on, I would ease your way into getting assessed, right? Because there's nothing wrong with it. However, I've within myself and within some of my other friends that are ADHD, they go in, they say a few symptoms diagnosed. And I'm just like, did they ask you really about you? And I was like, no, not really. And I was like, okay. As a parent, listen, listen as closely as you can, um, incorporate as much on your own, because now if you incorporate things on your own, if you can bring them to awareness of themselves, be like, Hey, I've noticed this kind of gets you frustrated. It does. Yeah, it actually does. Like, is there something that kind of bothers you with it? Does something like not work out right? Does this person just like not treat you right? Do they not you know, do they play too aggressively with you or, you know, is this teacher, this class, what's I'm, I'm noticing these things. Um, what is it? Do you like, do you know? No, it's just like, nobody listens. It's just, I feel like I'm unheard. Okay. We're getting to the root. We're getting to the root. Okay. All right. You're slowly digging into frustration, anger, uncertainty, doubt, happiness, excitement, and you're able to really gauge, okay, this is where it's coming from. I want to feel it. Right. And you learn self-control after learning, okay, this is, I think that might've been too much. Awareness, self-control has now been incorporated and established. Um, But I would definitely just listen, listen as much as you can and incorporate as much as you can with, you know, because you are the driver. If you're the parent and, and, and your kid has ADHD and there's a lot going on, you can drive this in one of two directions. You can drive it out of your control, therefore potentially, um, distancing the relationship you have with your kid, right? Or you can lead it to where you can have that connection. You can incorporate some medications if they are there to kind of sharpen some skills up for them, um, especially in job interviews or during tests or something, but make as much of it as holistic as possible, right? If you have to incorporate it, absolutely, but do as much as you can. Is that going to require a little bit more effort uh, on urine than someone who deals with someone who's very introverted and very and keeps to themselves. Absolutely. Right. But that, that comes with it, but you're going to create a much stronger relationship with them and they're going to want to come and talk to you. They're going to want to, Hey mom, Hey dad, I, uh, there's something bothering me. And like, it, I just can't, I'm, I'm feeling short fuse and I just want to punch something. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Right. What's going on? What's going on, right? I just, I thought I had this assignment due yesterday, uh, tomorrow, but it was due yesterday. How did I forget? Like, how can I be so forgetful? I'm so dumb. I'm so stupid. No, no, no. You're not dumb and you're, and you're not stupid. How can we help you remember better next time, right? You're creating that open door for communication, right? And so listening, listening as best as possible. Whatever you do, stay away from, we'll just do better next time. Listen, just don't feel that way. Just don't feel that way. Listen, it doesn't even matter. Listen, it doesn't matter. Just push aside. Mm-mm. You want to understand where these emotions are coming from. Yeah. And as the parent, as they're growing, they're looking to you for guidance. They're looking to you because you've experienced more life. Don't make them shut their life out early just off of your impatience with them. Right. Right. So that's that's what I would say.
Yeah. And you talked about something that's very important. So I've had to change my parenting style, right? I grew up a certain way. I was parented a certain way. I started that way and I no longer parent that way. And I'm okay with it. I mean, because to your point, there are a lot of things that I do with my children that my parents didn't do. And I'm not saying that they were horrible parents or wonderful parents. It's just that to your point, that emotional intelligence, that listening piece is huge. I mean, I will sit there and listen to my son can talk. Well, actually they both can, but like he is the one I would say was really given the opportunity to sit and talk where there was adults listening. And that was because it was part of his program. Right. So he really learned to express his feelings more than a lot of kids his age. I mean, he can really tell you what is going on, how he is feeling, how how he could have upset somebody else, how he, you know, that person upset him. I mean, he can go into detail. And that's because we put that piece in place where people sat down and listen. And I also keep the door open where say if it is a conflict with someone else's child, I still will have the parents sit and listen because I don't even want them cutting my child off, but I'm also giving the other child a chance to talk and share their experience. Because to your point, the more we're able to open up and share, the more that people are going to be able to talk through conflicts. We're so busy shutting our children off. They're not going to learn to talk to conflicts and figure out what's going on with them if we just avoid it, you know, Yep. and that, and that's going to be very frustrating. So, you know, for example, my child a couple of years ago had a conflict with another child and I used to sit on the board of a Montessori school and one of the, and I'll be honest with you, that's where I really learned it. They had a, it was almost like a process for children conflict management. Like these kids could sit there at four and five years old and talk about what was going on with them. And it was because they were about guiding the kids through, you know, uh, hard situations, right? Why, why did you yell at me? Uh, Because it seemed like you were mad at me for X, you know what I mean? Like really Mm -hmm. talking in detail, So when my child had this issue with um, another child, I said, you really should use this technique. Oh, it's not going to work. Why don't we just put the other child in a different class? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) We're not, we're not up and moving kids, (laughs) you know, because they had an argument or two, okay, maybe about 10, but still we're not moving him. Right. Why don't you just try this? And so his, um, his specialist decided that she was going to take it on long story short. It worked so well by the end of the school year, the other child invited my child to his birthday party. And that's because they were able to work through the conflict at eight years old. You know what I mean? So to Mm -hmm. your point, listening, teaching them how to talk through their emotions, helping them work through conflict with other children makes a huge difference especially for children with ADHD, because to your point, if they can't express themselves, they'll find a different way to do it. Right. Yep. And that's going to, and that's probably going to be in ways where as, as a parent, you're probably not going to like the outcome of it <laughs> in some shape or form. So yeah. And that's, and that's another thing, like communication is huge, but a lot of us are uh, a lot of ADHDers, a lot of 
you know, and even just regular people, but strictly for, for, for ADHD years, we see a, a conversation as immediately confrontation before the conversation even starts. And it's just like, let's, let's flip this around, right? Let's communicate. Let's comprehend rule. Number one, the goal is not to say that you're right. And this person's wrong. The goal is to say, I thought this, you thought this, okay, we did not match. Let's find a middle ground and let's see where we can Let's see where, where we can keep it cordial or solve this problem. Yeah. All right. So that it's huge. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's very cool. So for those who, especially men, I mean, I think one of the things that at least I know in my generation, the one thing that we talk about is how men do not tend to share what is going on, especially around mental health. So mm-hmm. you're very open and you are, you know, you're talking about it out there and you're sharing your experiences. For those who don't know how to share their experiences or who want to keep it closed in, but really do need to work through it, what would your advice be to them? It's going to be very cliche, but journaling, right? It is a very cliche thing, but a lot of men are grown up around, suck it up, provide for the family, work hard, be persistent, never give up. They're not taught that in order to get to those things or when you uh, on the journey to get to those things, you're going to feel a lot of things. You are going to feel stressed. You are going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to get in, in a relationship. Your heart may be broken. You're going to shut that out. You're just going to, oh, it's no big deal. I'll get over it. I'll get over it. I'll just deal with it. I'll push it aside. Men have this stigma that we're the providers, we're, we're the, the biggest and the baddest out there. We have all the answers and that is not the case. That is not the case. And I've, I've dealt with so many clients of my own, so many, I've, I've had clients that were 45 plus that grew up over this uh, alpha male mentality. And after the program, he said, you know, I feel like my life is just starting mm-hmm. because now I'm able to do it as myself. All right. So with, with men, journaling is probably the best thing, right? How am I feeling? You know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Why are you feeling good? Well, this happened saying it worked out great. This worked out great. Okay. What do you want to do with it? I want to embrace it. Like, I don't really feel this too, too often. My, and my schedule is like, it's super busy. Absolutely. Is there anything that you want to learn from, learn from it? I'm, I want to learn how to be present. Okay. Run it back now. How am I feeling today? I'm stressed I'm, and I'm overwhelmed. Where did it come from? I got work. I'm packed out the wazoo. Like I've got friends that need my help. I got this. I got that. Okay. What do you want to do? with it? I want to alleviate. I want to alleviate it. Right. How can I do that? Right. Well, I can take a few things off my plate. I can, you know, move these plans over a few days. I can, you know, cancel plans if need be, and I can take some time to myself. Okay, cool. We figured out what it was. We validated our feelings. We found out what we wanted to do with them. And then we started acting towards that, right? There's a process to this. And to men, it's always think logically. Don't let emotions get the best of you. When you think logically without any emotional awareness, that's ignorance and that's avoidance. Logic that's placed in the best way possible with the best amount of insights is understanding where the emotion is that you now flip a switch and be like, okay, this is what's going on. This might get in the way of a few things, but I know exactly where it's coming from. What are some logical ways? How can I just get through this? I can, I can have this sit in the back seat, but I don't have to have it drive me to where I'm trying to get to. I can still use my logical sense. I can still be solution oriented and still find a way through. Right. So starting point would easily be journaling because that is a way where you don't have to immediately go out, talk to people and feel weak. 
You don't have to immediately immerse yourself. And you might have people that discard that because they grew up the same way, right. right? So being able to immerse yourself within you and say, you know what? This is all about me right now. This is how I'm feeling. And this is why this is what I want to do. And that's probably not the best solution. How can I alleviate that? How can I, you know, bring myself back to myself in a calming manner? All right. But, and that comes back to self-awareness, right? We live on such an autopilot um, standard whenever it comes back to like understanding who we are, the things that make us happy, the things that spark our creativity, the things that frustrate us, the things that keep us calm. We have no idea. We've given it no attention. We've allowed so many things externally to guide us. Yeah. And so, especially for someone like me, um, writing, like if I were to pull out my notes, I have actually 2,100 notes in my phone, wow. 2,100 <laughs> notes in my phone. And they all started towards the end of that senior year towards like, I got a lot on my mind and I got to get it out somewhere. I think too quick. So if I physically write, I'm going to forget what I'm writing halfway through. Let me type it out. Let me do it quick, you know, and just kind of save it. And then over time, I started just sharing it with people. Mm. And then as I kind of started sharing it, people were like, wow, this actually helps me actually. And I was like, wow, because it was just meant to help me. All right. Over time, it's become a lot more than that. And I've structured so many things around journaling and just writing things out to where it's like, it's it's a huge passion for me. And that's actually why I got my writing, my writer's feathers. Oh, nice. Right yes. Um and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but journaling, that's, that's a starting point. Okay, Very cliche, but a lot of people just don't know how to do it. It's just gratitude, affirmations, yeah. and then goals. Well, if you don't, if after you finish, you're no longer grateful, you're no longer affirmed, and those goals no longer matter, you just did something to justify that you did it because you see everybody else do it. So find, find, a, find a structure for you. I like that. Yeah. I need to get him back into it because that's what we actually started with was the journaling because of all of the frustrations he was going through. So, um, and that was very helpful. So yeah, I'm gonna definitely put that on the list. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm writing things down in my head, Josiah. <laughs> we know how well that works. I need to type it out real quick. Hold on. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Type it out. Okay. So you mentioned journaling, um, is there anything else that has helped you through your journey? So whether it be podcasts, YouTube books, I mean, has there been any other tools that have helped you just grow? I mean, you even talked about exercising. I mean, what else has helped you through your journey? So in all honesty, so I grew up with, you know, podcasts, of course, but the podcasts that I listened to were very hustle culture, very suck it up and get through it. And at the time I was like, oh man, this is perfect for me. Right by the time I really started understanding my mental health about two and a half, three years ago, I was like, okay, there's obviously more than just sucking it up. Right. So that's when I got immersed in writing like a lot more. That's when, um, honestly, to be completely honest, movie instrumentals and meditation music, mm -hmm. I will literally work out to the most calming thing in the world. Cause it keeps me calm. I will drive and I will just have some calm. So there's this artist, his name's uh, Tony Anderson. Um, and I have so many of his albums on uh, on my playlist and they're just instrumentals. They're just some calm uh, orchestral strings. You know, some of them are cinematic. That could be cool for like motivational stuff, but very calm, um, very calm sounds because it allows me to not be influenced by lyrics but it also allows me to stay calm without the super hard bass of like rap music or dubstep or all this other uh, genres that they have out there. I mean, yeah, it's cool to listen to, but when it comes to me, my goal is always to understand and keep this room up here as clean as possible. 
right? As cluttered as it may seem, I know that my pencil is under that shirt that's under those pants that I threw down there a few days ago. I know that's there. Um, I want to keep my house as, uh, as very as clean as possible up here. So if something's bothering me, no lyrics, no nothing, throw some instrumentals on, be immersed within myself and just sit. It doesn't necessarily have to be like meditation, but what is on my mind right now? Right. Let that kind of sit for a little bit. Do some breathing. Um, honestly, yeah, breathing and, and, let, and let the music just kind of guide and really show you really what's going on within your mind without any specific influence in any direction, whether that's R&B or rap or rock or whichever it is, but just allowing that time within myself. I love that's that. So I guess summed up, it would be um, writing instrumental music, no lyrics, and then solitude and then breathing. Love that. I love that. Um, so is there any last thing or just any last minute um, thought or anything that we missed that you want to share with the parents? Honestly, closing remarks. <laughs> what's crazy is like you touch base on absolutely everything. You've done an amazing job with this interview. I've been, I haven't had a structured interview quite like this ever before. So I'm definitely giving you props there. Definitely. I got to give credit where credit is due. Um, we have some, we've touched base on everything. I would definitely recommend Anybody who watches, you want to watch it back, all right? Because right now you're, with me saying that, you're remembering certain parts, but you might be forgetting the small details within it. Go back, watch it again, take notes, um, and listen to it. You don't even have to watch it, because I think you put this on YouTube as well. Um, listen to it and just let your mind be sparked by what's said, so that way visually you're not distracted and you're not already putting your mind in more places than it can carry itself. Um <laughs> But honestly, yeah, I think you've done an amazing job here. We've touched base on, on everything. And I think the basis of it all would be listening. Yeah. Listening is a huge thing. Listening and then leading the way because we have the control to do that. We can listen and we can lead. All right. We just got to put forth that effort to do so, especially with our kids or within ourselves. All right. So uh, that, that is what I would honestly say. 100%. Awesome. Awesome. And then if anybody has any more questions for you, Josiah, how can people get a hold of you? So my IG, I started a brand new one because um, my other one was built off of fitness. And I was like, this is not me anymore. Um, the, the new IG is Josiah's Perspectives. Um, you can find me on IG and then I just launched my podcast as you and I were talking a little bit before, uh, before this, you guys can kind of hear a similar story, uh, that I kind of shared here on, uh, flipping the script within you it's on anchor and it's still loading on Spotify I launched it today. going to be a lot of, uh, episodes there, but that's, I'm super excited for that. Um, but yeah, IG just has perspectives and then, uh, podcasts on anchor and Spotify, uh, flipping the script within you. Awesome. That is so cool, Josiah. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. I'm so thank glad you that you came. Me. I'm so excited I did too. I like I didn't know what to expect, but I was like, it's gonna be a good time. It's gonna yeah, be a good time. Of course. <laughs> of course. All right. So everyone, awesome. that concludes another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. Everyone, have a wonderful day and take care, Josiah. So thank you. I'll take it easy. Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review and join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.